um, you know, I first started racing, I wanted to get out there and crush the course and clear the course and get every checkpoint out there. And it'll come back to bite you if you go out with that ad- attitude and, and you'll frustrate yourself. But if you go out there with the idea that I'm going to do the best I can, and the next time I go out there, I'm going to do the best I can, but try to do just a little bit better. Um, you know, I think that's a better attitude to go into it with. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. Today's episode is with No Sleep Adventures race directors, John Farless and Brian Fribley, lifelong friends, adventure racers, avid outdoorsmen, and the team that brings top-notch races to the Midwest. I first learned about No Sleep thanks to Ann and Lauren at the Burf Barf podcast and their hilarious and glowing report of a No Sleep race. Brian and John's enthusiasm for all things adventure racing, their love of the sport, and their friendship comes across loud and clear. This was a fun one to record, and I hope that you find their excitement as infectious as I did. Sit back and enjoy episode four of the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. So thanks for joining the Dark Zone, fellas. Uh, with us today is Brian Fribley and John Farless, the, uh, the co-directors of No Sleep Adventures. Um, rather than me uh, miscommunicate who and what they are, I'm going to turn it over to them first. And they could talk a bit about what No Sleep is, the kind of races they put on. Um, and as we move through today's podcast, we'll talk a bit about their experience as racers and what they have to offer to the, to the newcomer. So either Brian or John, if you want to jump in, talk a bit about No Sleep Adventures, where you are, the races you do, what kind of events you put on. Sure. So No Sleep Adventures, we are, we're a small race company. You know, there's some race companies out there that are putting on a lot of races a year. Um, we started out just doing one one race year sometimes we'd offer you know a beginner friendly race along with a longer race and um, but yeah we're, we're weekend warriors you know we, we've got full-time jobs we've got families and um, we got into this because we just wanted to propel the sport we wanted to bring new people into the sport we wanted to make sure that there were races in this part of the country for people to um, to get involved with so so that's you know how we got started and, and what we are but um you know we, we just do it because we love it we do this because it gives us a chance to go out and play. And, you know, people always talk about, you know, how much work does that take to go out there and put on a race? And, and we're like, it's not work. You know, this, this is our playtime um, to get out there in, in the woods and, and set up these courses and, and uh, you know, do all the planning that goes into it. We have as much fun planning these things um, as we do racing or, or, you know, putting on the event. So, so we, we, we're Midwest and we, we're right in the tri-state area, Evansville, um, Illinois, um, Kentucky. Um, right now, most of our races, we've, we've done some in Indiana, but right, right now, most of our races are coming out of Southern Illinois. And we've got a five-year contract with the uh, U.S. Forest Service there. So that's kind of been our, our main focus area there is the Shawnee National Forest in Southern Illinois. Yeah, and I was going to jump in there and say most of the people that come out and uh, attend our races realize that we we make this a family event. Uh, we bring our kids along uh, while we're doing scouting and vetting of the courses and uh, some of our, our family, our, our number one volunteers that are always there helping put on the race and cheering on racers as they move along the course. And it's something that our kids enjoy observing and seeing too. So we're trying to bring them into the sport just as much as we're trying to propel it. So it's clear, and you pointed out in your in your introduction, as you spoke about the races you're putting on, that you, you carry these full-time jobs. So you get up in the morning, and everybody's got a boss, right? And you have to go off to work. And you choose to be citizen race directors, right? That's the phrase that I use, right? Uh, and to, to your point, there are some organizations that, that the race directing is the job of the organizer. And then there are, is a cohort of people, and we share that. I have a full-time job myself, and I've had a chance to be um, to be involved as an assistant to a director for a race that we put on here in upstate New York this year. Um, and talk a bit more about the, the idea that when people say to you, well, I don't get it. You spend your non-work time voluntarily doing work. What, is, what does adventure racing bring to you personally to give, that kind of, to give that kind of time and effort? It's my love for the outdoors. You know, I, I grew up... Um, you know, it's something my father taught me and, and it's something, you know, I just grew up around being in the outdoors. I mean, I grew up around maps. I grew up around, you know, camping and, and backpacking and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just in my blood. And so, you know, I spend my day in an office um, a lot of the time and, 
but that's my time to get out. It's my me time. Um, it's my Zen time, you know, out, out there in the woods, everything slows down for me. And, um, you know, even though things are crazy sometimes and you're focused on a lot of things and trying to plan a race, it's also a time to slow down and, and have some, some time for yourself. That was, that was your gateway to it. You obviously grew up in a home in which the, the outdoors was a, was a playground to you. And as an adult, you just carried that forward into your adventure racing. Brian, was that the same experience for you growing up? I actually didn't really come from much of an outdoorsy background. I, I started to hunt and fish a little bit when I was in uh, grade school, and then it carried on to, to high school. But I, I didn't find outdoor adventure sports until I made it to college. And so I've always been a naturalist and an avid outdoorsman. Uh, my, my career is more of a wilderness-type exploration. I'm a geologist, but uh, adventure racing is always been an outlet for not only the outdoors, but just adventure in general, taking me to new places, seeing new things that most people wouldn't typically see on their everyday weekend adventures. And I think that's a fair point to make, right? There, the, the adventure racing is the, the outdoors is available to us all the time, right? Outside is free, right? That's a common marketing line that we see. And adventure racers, adventure race directors, adventure race volunteers and fans, we turn the outdoors literally into our, our playground. And I think, John, that was sort of the phrase that you had, you had talked a bit about there. What do you find when you work with, with when newer racers show up and, and, and the fact that you put on beginner focused races is great for the sport. And we've talked about that a lot on the, on the dark zone. The fact that there has been this increased interest in what we do because of eco challenge, because of all the, the Amazon prime and all the excitement about that. What do you find brings beginner racers back to the races? You know, people will dip their toes into the water for a second. What brings them back? Do you think to their second or third race? Why do they keep doing it? What, what, what factors are in place? Would you say? I don't know. One of the things I think I see is that uh, people get out there and, and they don't know what to expect. And I, I think it's that idea of pushing themselves when they get out there and they push themselves and they accomplish something maybe they didn't think they could do. Um, I've heard so many times racers come off a race and especially new racers and say, that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and I've even heard that from people who are triathletes you know, who, who did an adventure race for the first time and said that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So I think, I think that gives them, you know, a true sense of accomplishment. And I agree with that. I think that, I think that when people realize that they could push their boundaries a bit and they could have a good time and, you know, sometimes fun isn't fun. We say that very often on the dark zone that when they, they go beyond their capacity, that they realize that they're always stronger than they thought they could be. And as a result of that strength, they then want to do more of it, right? They, they get a taste of it um, and they realize, and it's funny how you mentioned the triathletes, right? Because a large gateway into adventure racing now are people who had, who had been triathletes. And the irony is, is many of my friends who are triathletes who now do adventure racing, they're ruined for any activities in which they're told what direction to go. And I think that's one of the things that, that draws people in too. It's, um, you know, it, it, it is, an, it's an adventure. You don't know what you're getting into. You don't know what's around the next turn. You know, you don't, you know, there's no marked course. There's no, um, there's no spectators down the side of the road. You know, you're, you don't know what's on the other side of that Creek or, or over that next Ridge. And I think that's part of the excitement of it. Brian, what do you think about that? Part of the predisposed notion that a lot of our racers come, come with, and we get this a lot is, you know, they show up to our, our, our race courses. And they say, well, holy cow, I thought that Illinois was all, all flat. I, I thought that most of Indiana was flat <laughs> cornfield. And all of a sudden, they're staring at 120-foot uh, cliff faces, and uh, we're taking them out in the dark and seeing 60-foot waterfalls. And they just have no idea that those type of resources are, are found throughout the state of Illinois and, and Indiana. You just have to adventure a little bit and, and, and find them for yourself. And so part of what we do as, as No Sleep Adventures is we try to highlight uh, all those geographic features. And when we go out and set courses, we try to find those pristine type environments. Uh, Garden of the Gods is a, a, a huge tourist draw for Southern Illinois. And it's, it's kind of a, a central location. You go there and all of the scenes are just epic. Uh, it's something that you wouldn't expect to see, but you're also there with a few hundred of your non-closest friends. And so what we do is we try to find those same epic scenes uh, through the course scouting and, and, uh, recon of the maps and then we take them out and we get them to those those same epic views and cliff faces and they're there by themselves and they're able to actually 
immerse themselves in that environment and enjoy nature for what it's worth. And it's more than just hiking, right? Hiking and backpacking are, are fine pursuits, but adventure racing brings that layer of, of added enthusiasm and excitement into the, into the outdoors. I have to laugh about Southern Illinois. Um, as our listeners can tell by my accent and by your accent, we're not exactly from the same part of the country, but I, I will say that it's a, we will do adventure races in New Jersey. And people, you know, they think New Jersey is the turnpike and the Sopranos. And then we take them out into the woods and they see these beautiful vistas and these waterfalls and they, they're stunned that it's not just, you know, rest stops and, uh, and uh, big black cars driving around very quickly. So I, I agree with that very much. Um, a lot of race directors listen to the dark zone and they, they like to get ideas and they like to pick up on thoughts for others. Um, the co-director model is interesting because you have to simultaneously share responsibilities and then also split responsibilities up. And so how do you, how do the two of you navigate the directing of a race? Is one person in charge of course setting, somebody else do logistics, who, who takes care of the maps, who takes care of the food? How do you, how do the two of you divide up the work? Because it's worth pointing out that if you think adventure racing is hard, directing an adventure race is even harder. So how do the two of you navigate that? And it's very clear you're very good friends. I mean, it, it pours out of you in the way that you speak about each other and the, the vibe that you give off. How do you split up those responsibilities? Well, I think the history that, that we've had, you know, John and I met each other back in college uh, before we were really even adventure racing. We were having our, our own everyday adventures uh, around Shawnee, around Hoosier National Forest. Uh, we were avid backpackers and hikers. And, you know, we, we were good, good friends back in college, but we weren't, weren't the best of friends. And really, adventure racing kind of became one of the common core bonds that grew our friendship over the years. Uh, we both started adventure racing back in 2006. And the only reason that I ended up joining a team was because another one of our close mutual friends found out about it from John and said, hey, let's, let's form a, a two-man team and let's, let's go out and do this together. And then from that, I, I kind of reached out to a, another one of our uh, circle of friends and said, Hey, John, John told us about this race, Planet Adventures, an eight, eight hour sprint. And, uh, Reed and I are going to do it. So, you know, you, you should come out and do it. And so it, it was that, that common, you know, core of adventure racing. Once I started, I, I was hooked. I, I really loved it. And, you know, as life kind of progressed on, uh, we, we didn't have all the time that we did when we were young to put into all the training and the racing as we fostered our, our families. And so John and I always wanted to kind of stay in the sport and directing was the way that we, we were able to, to maintain that connection to the community. Uh, John's been able to stay racing a little bit more than what I have, but uh, it's always been that sense of friendship. And then as we went along, we kind of understood the dynamics of adventure racing and how the teamwork played into it. And when John and I actually do the course design and out there do, doing the course vetting, I can truly say it, it pretty well is a 50-50 team effort. We both look at the maps. We both make those decisions. We're bouncing ideas back and forth off of each other. There's times that he'll go out by himself and do some scouting, and then I'll go out by myself and do some scouting. But the better part of the time, we are together, and we try to do most of our endeavors within the racing community as a team, as a, as a no-sleep director's team. Yeah, I think I think what he says is, is spot on. It's it's just like having a race team. I mean, we're, we're out there doing the work. Um, we may not always agree, you know, and it's and, you know, I've heard some of your past guests talk about, you know, the idea of having two navigators on a team. You know, you're not always going to agree. So we don't always see eye to eye, but but we have to figure out a way to work it out and to move forward. And um, but more more often than not, we do, and and I think usually what ends up happening is we end up with something better than either one of us would have come up with on our own. So it really is, you know, a team endeavor, and um, I think having raced together and and grown up, you know, come up through you know the the adventure racing um, scene, you know, I think that really helps with you know getting out there and getting the work done that has to be done out there to to put the race on. So how vibrant is the scene out there? Uh, no Sleep puts on races. Are there other race directors in other regional areas? Is there a, a local series of races? Are there big annual races that go on that everyone tries to go to? How does it, talk a bit about the, the, the I'm going to call it the Midwest. Is that, is that an accurate term to use? Yeah, I think what, that's what is, the, what is the Midwest AR scene like? It's a, I think the Midwest is actually a very strong AR scene. Um, you know, I, I think as a lot of us know, there's, there's probably, 
um, some areas of the country that don't have a robust ARC. And I would say, you know, East Coast and um, and the Midwest are some of the stronger AR scenes out there. I mean, for for instance, our racers, we get some of the top teams in the country. You know, we, we get teams that are competing um, for the national title um, that are um, attending our races every year. So there's there's several races and it's the, the scene has changed though. Um, and that's one of the reasons we got into this. I mean, there used to be uh, several races around. I can think of a few, you know, Thunder Rolls, um, over in Illinois, there was, um, you know, the LBL challenge just, just south of us in Kentucky, you know, Planet Adventure, um, just north of us in Indiana. Um, you know, a lot of those have kind of come and gone by the wayside. And um, there's others still still kicking. You know, we've got Dino um, uh, with Brian Holhausen putting on races right here in Indiana. Um, Stephanie Ross, uh, Flying Squirrel Adventures. I think she's focusing more on the women of AR mm -hmm. um, now, which is a you know very honorable thing she's doing there with um, getting women into the sport. Um, you know, Dallas and Sean with 361 Adventures. So mm -hmm. I think there's a very vibrant scene here. And and one of the great things is we've been friends with all those folks. I mean, those are the races we we got started with. Those are the races we were doing. We we got to know those folks. And so when we go to put on an, on a race, for instance. We make sure that our race doesn't conflict with any of those other directors. We're we're a community. We all come together. Um, you know, we make sure that you know we're we're all working together to make the mid Midwest a vibrant racing scene. Uh, we're not competing against each other. Um, and it even comes down to you know we put on some adventure clinics for new racers. And one of the things we've done is um, always reach out to those other directors in the area. And so. Several times we kind of had this rotating um, new racer adventure clinic um, where, you know, one of the race directors would would host it, but all the other race directors came to help present and, and put on the clinic. And I think that's just great that we've been able to have that tight knit community here in the Midwest and and really work to grow the sport um, as a team rather than, you know, as silos. And you make a, a very good point there about adventure racing and the future of it. And, and I can't help but be struck by the idea during a race itself, teams race against each other, but I think it's safe to say that there's a very high level of camaraderie out on the course because we're all together. We're all sharing the experience, right? And, you know, if, if, if we come across a team that matches us and in our division, it's not like we're going to tell them exactly the direction to go, but we'll greet them, we'll chat with them, we'll speak with them, and it'll, it'll be very convivial out on the course because we have that sense of shared experience and shared suffering in some cases. And I think that that transfers over to the race director experience, right? I think that you're, you make a valid point that when you're, you're putting a race together, you reach out to the formal or informal network of race directors and you make certain that you don't cannibalize each other. And that's a, that's a, a, a key thing. And the same thing exists on the East coast from Maine all the way down to Florida. Um, we always, it's a, it's a massive chunk of land, but rarely, rarely do two, big races go head to head in a reasonable, in a reasonable regional area. What is your favorite discipline in AR? What do you enjoy the most when, when you were involved in racing and you have a chance to get out there? Well, quite honestly, I'm going to have to say that the paddling is, is by far my favorite. Um, I've always been a swimmer. I, I was on the swim team in high school and I was an endurance swimmer, long distance, 500,000 uh, at that time. And then as I progressed through college, got into, you know, a lot of the boating uh, on, on the local rivers. And so uh, I've always enjoyed that. But then uh, one of my first uh, jobs in, in college was a, a landscaper through the summers. And that's a lot of very physical uh, labor intensive activity with my arms and shoulders. Um, and so I always did very well in, in the paddle. And, and one of my first teammates uh, who I grew up with, uh, went, to, went to elementary school with, uh, went to college with, he and I were in the military together. Ultimately, we ended up in our own landscaping company when we first started in, in adventure racing, and we found that we would just crush the paddle. Uh, our arms and shoulders were used to digging trenches and holes the entire time, and we would make up huge amounts of time uh, during the paddle. Yeah, and I'm going to disagree with Brian on that one because the paddle is my absolute least favorite part of the race. I mean, I get sleep monsters in the middle of the night. I I can't wait for that section to be over. I don't eat or drink right when I'm paddling because I never want to put the paddle down. And, you know, that's that's my least favorite section of the race. So I I would say for me, it's the trek. Um, and, you know, I usually serve as the lead lead navigator um, when I'm racing and, and, you know, being out there on foot, you know, seeing the landscape, being able to read the landscape. 
compare it with the map, you know, that's where I excel and that's, that's where I enjoy being. And, you know, I, I see hills as a challenge. You know, I, I get to a hill and some people are like, oh God, another hill. And, and a, a hill almost gives me more energy. You know, I, I, I feel better at the top of that hill sometimes than I did, you know, coming into the bottom. And so, yeah, definitely the, the trick for me. So let's talk a bit about navigation for a second, because this is always an interesting topic on the, on the dark zone. When you navigate, you have your map and compass skills. And, and for our, our listeners that are out there, um, and if you're, if you're a little puzzled by all the terms we're using, I recommend our listeners go back to episode one with Mike Garrison, the director of USARA, who gives a great overview of what AR is. Are you a, when you map and compass, are you like a compass in hand, take a bearing and go in a certain direction, or do you use the landscape features and sort of head out in a certain direction with your gut telling you you're going in the right spot? What's your strategy? So that, that changed over time. Um, I can say when I first got started, um, I had that compass around my neck. I had that compass in my hand all the time, took bearings all the time, especially at night. Um, but as I progressed as a navigator and got more comfortable and, um, you know, now I've got a, you know, a small ball compass that goes on, the, on my wrist around my watch. And sometimes I'll use a Moscow compass um, on the side of my hand. But there's a lot of a lot of time now as a navigator. I don't even use a compass. Um, you know, I'm reading that terrain. I've gotten to that point where when I look out there and I look at a map and I look up, the map and the terrain look the same to me. You know, you, you get to that point where you, you know that map so well, um, you know that terrain so well, and you know that how to bridge that gap between what you're seeing on the map and what you're seeing in front of you, that um, you find yourself using that compass less and less often. What mistakes do you think that beginners often fall into that you would want to warn them off of? Well, I'll take this one right off the bat, and that's uh, the gear. So many people, you know, when you start talking about adventure racing, they get so intimidated by uh, the amount of gear that they envision themselves having to have in order to be competitive in, in the sport. And it doesn't matter whether it's adventure racing or paintballing or anything. The best gear doesn't make the best racer. The best racer is going to make the decisions uh, and do what he needs to do to be productive and and meet those goals regardless of whether you've got the cheap cheap gear that you buy at your you know local big box store or, or whether you're spending thousands of dollars a month uh at, at all the name brand places so most people that i talk to are intimidated by the gear but then secondarily it's, it's definitely the navigation and that that kind of is something that a lot of people take for granted especially with all the apps and uh, map devices that, that we have, that all they have to do is turn on their location uh, and then their their phone or, or their, their tablets or whatever are going to tell them where to go. But um, I think that a lot of people are intimidated by the amount of gear that goes on and then just the thought of possibly getting out into the wilderness and being lost. Got it. John, what do you think? I would agree with what, what Brian's saying there. But the other thing I think that really intimidates new racers is the competition. And with these types of races, you know, we're, we're not separating out the beginners, you know, and, you know, we do a little bit when we do two different races, but even the same when on our longer races, we've got newbies, we've got people who've done one or two racers, and then we've got the national champions from last year um, out there racing on the same course. And I think sometimes they look at those folks and they see them go out hot and, um, you know, they see them building this one hour, two hour, three hour, four hour, five hour lead by the end of the race. Um, and that intimidates them and they, they feel discouraged. And I think people need to not feel that way and just race their own race and realize that, you know, there are a lot of different, um, you know, divisions of athletes out there and you, and you need to just go out there and have fun. And that's something I had to learn. Um, you know, I first started racing. I wanted to get out there and crush the course and clear the course and get every checkpoint out there. And it'll come back to bite you if you go out with that ad attitude and, and you'll frustrate yourself. But if you go out there with the idea that I'm going to do the best I can, and the next time I go out there, I'm going to do the best I can, but try to do just a little bit better. Um, you know, I think that's a better attitude to go into it with. Um, so that's one of the things I think I see racers doing is coming into a TA just discouraged with, with how they're performing out there on the course. Common misconception that newer racers have is that they layer on the traditional athletic event expectation on top of an adventure race. And as a result of that, things kind of go haywire when they come to a TA and the TA is half empty and a lot of the bikes are gone and, and things like that. So, so Brian, when, when you, 
when you think about, you talk about new erasers, what, what advice would you give them in terms of level setting their expectations? Well, the first thing that I always approach with them is, is, you know, I, I kind of bring up that, you know, this is an adventure race and you, you have to choose whether you're going to focus more on the adventure or the race. And they kind of complement each other as your experience level builds. But for, you know, the, the younger generation and even some of the most experienced and, and veteran racers that have been doing this a long time, but don't quite have the stamina and the ability to make it more about the race, they're out there for the adventure. And that's, that's ultimately what, what life is, is about. It's, it's not always about where you finish in life or the course that you take to get there, but the experiences that you gain along the way and how much you enjoy them. So I always try to emphasize the adventure. And then the most pertinent thing to me uh, with, with being successful in adventure racing and life in general is not quitting. Just never give up. That's the only failure in adventure racing as, as well as life is just, just don't, don't quit. You have to realize that when you come out to these events and most cases in life, we're not going to ask you to do anything that's impossible, but what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to do something really hard, followed by something really hard, followed by something really hard. <laughs> and if you focus on, you know, the end all be all that 35 checkpoints down, it's going to be so much more dawning when you start than just say, well, I'm here at the start and I've got to get from checkpoint one to checkpoint two and then checkpoint two to checkpoint three. And of course, you're going to come along to a certain, you know, avenue where you say, well, I just don't know that I'd, I need to go for checkpoint five and six because that's not going to facilitate the end game of me finishing the race on, on time. And it's also going to make it to where I'm probably going to lose three or four more checkpoints just for going for these two. So I always, you know, tell them, focus on what's ahead of you. Just, just work your way along the course and, and enjoy yourself because that's what life's about. And that's what this race is ultimately going to be about to you because if you enjoy yourself in your first few races, then you can build upon the competitiveness and, and the racing aspect of it. So Brian, I think that's hilarious. I think that you should go into public relations for adventure racing because guess what? We're going to ask you to do something really hard and then something really hard and then something really hard. I could just feel the people lining up, take my money. But it's true. Well, like, like, like John had said earlier, though, you know, people look at this and they come in, into it and they don't know how they're going to do. And at the end of the race, they're like, that was the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I'm sure that, you know, you've been there. John's been there. I've been there. Every racer has been there where everyone reaches a certain breaking point, uh, not only in, in these races, but in, in, in their lives. And you just have to focus on what's ahead of you and don't quit and never give up. And at the end of the race, I don't know how many times I've been like, I'm never doing another adventure race again. I'm, I'm never doing this again and then you sleep on it and you get a good meal in your belly and you look back and you're like oh that sucked but man let's let's talk about those memories that that was really fun i i was at my lowest point and my teammates picked me up and drug me along and we ended up finishing and doing okay yeah i i think beyond just the memories there are life lessons out there i think adventure racing changes you fundamentally as a person and um, in your family life in your work life I think pushing yourself out there, finding your limits, and um, you know, really just you know, getting down to that lowest point and then having to climb back out. I've found personally, and I've and I've heard lots of other adventure racers say the same that they wouldn't be the person they are today without those experiences. And that's one of the things that I love about the sport. You know, I find when I've gone too long without doing a race, I feel like I need a race to reset myself because it it really does bring something out of you deep down that um, really does. I think it, like I said, I think it fundamentally changes you as a person and, and how you look at life and how you look at challenges in your own life. In, in two of the other uh, Dark Zone podcasts that we've done, the, 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 the guests have not been hesitant to talk about the idea that it feels almost like a spiritual experience out there. That when they, that when you encapsulate your life, and, and for those at home, both guests are nodding their heads up and down when I say that, that when you encapsulate your life into a very small chunk of time, right, whether it be 24, 48, 72 hours, eight hours, and it's you, it's your teammates, it's the maps, and it's the course in front of you, that something special happens inside that experience. And, and, and to your point, John, as you talked about that, that you, you, you look forward to and you want to return to that experience. What, what do you two think that is? Because it's interesting, I never ever lead guests in that direction. And guests always go in that direction. They always talk about the life lessons. They talk about the experience. What do you think that is? 
I, I think it's just that idea of being out there by yourself in the elements, you know, a lot of times it's, it's just you and your team. A lot of times there's not even other teams close by and it's, it's just getting to know yourself. I think it's slowing down, pulling away from all those distractions and, and having to focus everything you're doing on the task ahead of you. And, you know, you really have to put everything else aside for a minute and, and get down to what needs to be done in that moment. And not just to finish the race, but like Brian said, get to that next checkpoint um, to get to that next TA. And, you know, what is it that you need to do? Um, and what is it that you need to do as a team? And, but one of the things I think too is, um, you know, it, there are solo racers out there and people do these races individually, but I think that team aspect uh, of adventure racing is important too, because, um, you know, it puts you in that place where you're responsible, especially as a navigator, I find it, I feel like I'm responsible for that team out there. Um, I'm responsible for keeping those folks, um, keeping them moving forward, keeping them going in the right direction. Um, so I think that transfers over to life, you know, in big ways too, where, um, you know, that that's how life is, you know, there's times in your life where you're going to be responsible for, for a team, for your family, for, for making sure things move forward. And I think there's a lot of correlation between those two things. I agree. Spot on. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I just have to primarily say that John's got it right there. Um, there's so much that can be extrapolated from your everyday experiences, but when you facilitate an adventure race and you get out there, um, there's really no one else to rely on, but you and your teammates. And, uh, if things go sideways, I mean, it's, it's even more of a situation where you have to rely on your, your own gusto as, as well as the resources that your teammates bring to the table. So, uh, it's definitely kind of takes you back to those, those primal feelings, uh, you know, back before society as, as a whole was, uh, a large web and people were, forging out on their own, trying to find something new in life. One thing that, that drew me to interviewing the two of you was uh, uh, Burf Barf is a, is a, is a podcast, uh, a running podcast for uh, Ann and Lauren. And, and for those of you who, who are listening to The Dark Zone, uh, BRF, then Barf. Yep, Barf, B-A-R-F. Um, it is an outstanding podcast put on by them in there, and they are delightful, and they are sharp, and they're smart, and they're tough as nails, and they're great to listen to. They absolutely raved, raved about their experience last year at a no sleep adventure race. So let me ask you for all the race directors out there, what's the secret sauce? What's going on in a no sleep adventure race that would have people absolutely love the experience you offer them? What's going on there? I, know, I just want to say that those gals are great gals. And, and I think the one, the one word you didn't use is funny. Yes. They are hilarious. hilarious. Uh, so yes. it's, if you get a chance, go check out their podcast. But um, I don't know. I, th I think it's that I think one of the things is we we care about our race so much. Um, you know, we're, we're not just going out there and throwing a few checkpoints out to get people from A to B. And um, we want this to be the best experience possible for our racers. And um, we spend six months longer um, out there vetting course, looking for checkpoints. You know, we're, we're trying to get people to beautiful places and, and we like to create remote um, races that get people, you know, out away from from the beaten path. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, every, everything about it. We want everything from the awards to the post-race experience to the, the pre-race meeting. We, we want all of it to, to be about the racer and about the community and about bringing people together. And I think maybe that's what it is. I mean, we just, we just want it to be the best experience possible. That's very yeah, I can that's what definitely compliment. I, I can definitely compliment what John saying by the amount of work that we put into it. But once again, being co-race directors and taking a team oriented approach to our, our races, I always kind of bill it and I always bring this up when we're either doing our, our pre-race or post-race, but John's primary goal is to have an epic and fun adventure race out there. And then I follow that up with my primary goal is to have an epic and safe adventure race out there. But either way you go, we want it to be an epic experience for the racer 
no matter whether you're a new novice racer who's just coming in, into the sport and doesn't know what they're getting themselves into yet, or whether it's the top teams in the nation that are coming out and going to use this uh, either for points or for training, but we're going to challenge them all along the way. And John, his, his focus is definitely on having that epic fun course. And one of my primary focuses is a safe course because we want everybody to feel like we do care about them. We don't want them to get injured. We want them all to come out ahead, both uh, mentally and physically. And we want it to be epic no matter how they approach it. Spot on. And, and, you're, and you're, you're right about that. I think that the, the safety aspect is never overlooked. And I would argue that for all of the adventure we put into the races that we see, that the, that the, the race directors always go into the experience with a sense of, well, is this, is this going to be okay for the racer? Um, and while there's always bumps and bruises on race courses, and we've all shown up there scratched and beat up, um, overwhelmingly safety. I know that USARA is focused on that in a big way, making certain that the, that the adventure racing scene is safe for everybody, whether it be the newer racer, a uh, person who's getting off the couch, wants to give it a shot, or the person, the, the seasoned adventure racer. Um, this is an interesting podcast for the Dark Zone because one of our goals here um, is that we want to make it a point to, to get outside our own bubble. Right. And to talk to racers in the Midwest and directors in the Midwest and go further out to California. And we're going to have an international episode pretty soon. Um, and so I always like to, 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 to lighten the podcast a little bit. And I like to give the, the both myself as a host and both our guests the chance to ask a question about a stereotype of the person's region that they're from. So, for example, I'm from New Jersey. Right. I'm from actually born in the Bronx, New York, lived in New York City, lived in the suburbs. I live in New Jersey now. Is there anything about New Jersey that you're curious about? Any, any myths or notions you want me to dispel or answer for you? I guess you, you kind of talked about it early on, you know, about the stereotypes that, that we have, you know, being from the Hoosier state about being flat in, in cornland. Is there really woods and waterfalls in New Jersey? Yes, there are. There are. There are. Western New Jersey is absolutely gorgeous. We have a, a, a running joke that we're the, we're the best kept secret in America that we were two hours to the ocean or two hours to the mountains. And we don't tell anybody about it. Obviously putting on a podcast is not, you know, keeping the secrets like fight club. You're not supposed to talk about it. Um, let me ask you a question about the Midwest and you met Brian, you're from Indiana. Um, is it really that big of a basketball state or is that just who's your, who's your media? Well, I've, I've got to say, this is a, this is a, a pretty sensitive subject for me uh, as a swimmer um, back in high school uh, basketball was was the number one draw, and it, it didn't matter where you were from. Uh, all the funding went toward basketball, and so uh, I never had a love for basketball personally. It's not that I didn't play it. Um, there's a lot of aspects about the game that I just I, I, I didn't like. But uh, when I went to college, uh, I, I, I moved as far away from northern Indiana and came down to southern Indiana as I can. And there were a few things that I was wanting to escape in life, you know, and, and basketball was one of them. Uh, it just so turns out that I ended up starting to date uh, a girl who played basketball in Division II uh, for USI. And, you know, I just I, I never thought that that, that would uh, even come, come about. And here we are 26 years later uh, and three kids <laughs> along the line. And she is an avid basketball fan and, and loves it. Um, and I, I still to this day am not a big avid basketball fan, but, but I will always be her number one fan and never missed a game and was probably one of the loudest cheering fans that they had and was actually escorted from a few games for yelling at refs. So uh, <laughs> Hoosier Nation basketball is strong and uh, its its reputation is, is firm. Oh, very good answer. Very good answer. I, I will tell you that I've probably seen the namesake movie about a thousand times. And so I think that you're, you're spot on there. And I, I love that we could bridge our cultures together in today's world, New Jersey and the Midwest could, could bond over adventure racing. Um, yeah. And, uh, Hoosiers was part of that movie it was filmed right down the road from where I grew up in a little small town in Medora and in, in one of the, the older gyms in the state. And, uh, and then I went to high school with Damon Bailey, uh, who, yeah, see, even, even, you know, who Damon Bailey is uh, <laughs> cover of sports illustrated. And uh, yeah. So, so for our listeners, and, and, I, and, and John, I will insist that you correct me if I'm wrong about this, but Damon Bailey was a, was a phenom. And I believe in eighth grade, he said he wanted to go to Indiana. And so the headline in Sports Illustrated was, Damon Bailey picks Indiana high school to be named later. Was that true? I've heard the story. 
I can say that Bobby Knight made several trips to my high school and, and sat in the stands at our high school basketball games and uh, re recruiting Damon Bailey. Wow. That's, that's a, so I will save that for the, for the basketball zone podcast. Cause that's a, that's a fascinating piece of a piece of a Indiana history there. Um, both of you have, have not only are you accomplished race directors, but you're also racers yourselves. Right. And, and it's the racing. It's a story that keeps us coming back. Um, what race, and, and Brian, we'll start with you. What race would you go back to in a heartbeat? What event did you do that you would, if you can go back to that race, you'd go right back to it. I've got to say it was probably my first 30 hour race that I actually raced as no sleep. Um, John was helping direct the course with Mike Garrison. Uh, this was back in, in 2011. Um, I was going into it with uh, my, my veteran teammate, Israel Hayes, who I'd, I'd raced since 2006 and had such a long life legacy with. Uh, we were partnered with another, another adventure racer, uh, Susan Kent, who at the time was just getting into the sport her, her, herself. And uh, it was just a surreal type setting. You know, I, I, I didn't know how we were going to do. You know, I'd done a lot of eights and maybe a 12, but never 30. Um, and we started out uh, at, a, at a midnight start, which you don't see a lot in adventure racing. Um, John and I just did that for the first time in this year's no, no Sleep Adventure, and it actually went off pretty well. But just the whole race in, it, in itself was a surreal experience from the lead up to it, from the start at midnight. Uh, it was a, a hot night. We ended up doing a long swim as a, as a prologue, fully closed, where we went into uh, a long paddling O where we were in and out of the canoe all night long. We had huge thunderstorms that ended up rolling through with just spectacular lightning shows, uh, just made the whole, you know, adventure racing experience in that one race, you know, the next day was, was hot and muggy and, and, and sunny. We, we had some injuries on the team that we ended up powering through. We had an epic 200 foot rappel, uh, at Hemlock cliffs there, uh, in Southern in Indiana. Uh, it was just a really fun race and one that really embodied what adventure racing was about. So let me ask you a quick question. So, so John was the, was one of the directors of that race, right? So your buddy, your co-director, a midnight start prologue for a 30 hour race. And they had you swimming in the prologue. Yes. It sounds like it was planned, but none of it was. <laughs> I, I didn't even want to race this race. And John had to do everything under the sun to convince me to jump off in, into the long race. And so what, what I've got here is something, it's, it's a little sheet that John sent our team, uh, which was like the, the final words of advice. And I want to read this because it still rings true. And this is something that adventure racers that are just starting could, could cling to, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm just going to read it here. Okay. Team, just a few final thoughts. I'm actually pretty jealous that I'm not going to be out there this weekend. Just remember I've been on all the course already in a car. <laughs> and then he leaves in and he's like in no particular order plot and replot have a cp plotted in the wrong spot is not fun uh counter paces make sure that you're on on your distance if you get multiple maps number and letter them on the sides that fit together making finding the right map in the field easier fold and cut the white border on the edge but never cut off the actual utms you may need those coordinates later keep your maps dry Use lamination sheets for keeping your passport safe and check on it often. Use your tow systems and don't be afraid to ask for a tow. Bike tows can be used even when you're pushing hills. You're a team, and if you work as one, you'll move faster. Help each other out in other ways. Carry packs, push bikes, etc. whatever it takes. Know where everything is in your teammate's pack. That way, if someone stops to look at a map or you need something, you can grab food, water, or whatever else you would need. Use the same system in transition areas for totes if, if you have them. Have someone in charge of reminding to eat and drink. A good rule of thumb is every 30 minutes or so. May sound weird now, but late in the race, you'll know what I mean. Don't go too long without eating or drinking. You can't get it back. Drink a lot of water and stay hydrated before the race. Bring a little bit of comfort food, no matter what it is. If at all possible, put two bike bottles on, on your bike and duct tape them so you don't lose them. It happens. Remember that, every, that very often ridgetops have deer trails or old fire roads, and they don't show up on the map, but you can move five times faster on an old road than you can going up and down ravines. You're probably going to make a nav mistake. Don't sweat it. So will everyone else. Don't worry about who's in front or behind you. You have no idea how many CPs they have. Race your own race. Don't follow other teams. They're probably lost. 
unless it's Garrison. Then throw a toe strap on them and enjoy the ride. Have fun out there and keep it light. This is an experience. The only failure is quitting. You're going to get really sleepy at some point, and this usually passes, and you get a second wind or two. Use the caffeine if you can stomach it. Keep moving. All those little stops will add up. You don't have to be fast. You just have to be steady. Wear a headlamp in addition to your bike lights for night riding. Put a unique color of glow sticks on your canoe. Read your instructions carefully and double-check them at all the TAs and special sections. Make sure you punch all your CPs and get all your signatures and initials. I've been to a, a CP sleepy and forgot to punch it before we left or left a TA without an initial or the actual passport. It may not feel like it, but at some point, this will end, and you'll be so glad you did it. Nothing like crossing the finish line on a 30-hour. Be prepared to be hot, wet, itchy, cold, hungry, tired, thirsty, and bitchy. Everyone will have their weak moments. It's up to the others to keep their spirits up at those times. You may go hours or even an entire day without seeing other teams. No worries. Stay on course. And laugh a lot. What you're doing is ridiculous. And, oh, you look ridiculous doing it, too. So those are words of advice that I've carried with me to every race. Going out there, you know, that's something that everyone should keep in the back of their mind is those little tips. That is outstanding, outstanding. And, and for that to be handed to somebody beginning of a race, what, what wisdom was given across to you? One of my three questions is what advice would you give to a new racer? We're going to drop that question because it's been answered. So that was fantastic. So, so <laughs> tell me, John, what race would you go back to in a heartbeat? I tell you, mine's going to be interesting because I'm not going back to that epic race that I that I did. I've, I've had lots of those those races, you know, where there were those great experiences. But I'd like to go back to nationals. I think it was around 2012, maybe Prohongson, New York. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because I, I want a second chance at that race. Um, I don't know if you did that race, but that race started, I think, out on the water with a shotgun start on the paddle and everything went downhill from there. Um, had teammates fall apart, made nav mistakes. Um, you know, we actually started out strong on the water and, and we thought we were doing well and ended up being the last team off the water. Um, you know, I did that thing we've heard people talking about where we're barreling down hills um, only to realize that, you know, we've been chatting away and, and missed the turn and, and had to go back up. And so the, it was one of those races where nothing went right. Everything about that race um, I struggled with and got frustrated and I'd like another chance at that one. Shot at redemption. And if, if memories, and I was not at that race, but if memory serves me correctly, that was put on by the New York Adventure Racing Association. I think that they were the race. I right think up. it was. And it was also extremely cold. I think that was one of those races yep. where I'm not sure it ever got above freezing even during the day. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, uh, Rodney and Amy, Rodney uh, uh, Villella and Amy Bartoletti, and the whole that whole crew was involved in that. And, and, and they put on a fantastic race. It was nothing about the race. It was just one of those days when you're off. And that's another thing I think, you know, new people need to realize is, you know, you may go out one day and have the strongest race of your life. And, you know, you may come back two weeks later and do another race and, and it be the, you know, your worst race of your career. And it's going to happen. Uh, last question. We'll bounce off the two of you. Um, what is your favorite race food? What's your go-to race food? What do you have to have during the race at some time? Uh, I, I've got a couple of those. Um, it, that's an easy one for me. And one of my favorite race foods is two slices of white bread um, smeared with mustard and stacked with bacon. Uh, that and Cheetos. I, I'll always go back to Cheetos. It's just one of those things. I always keep a couple small bags and um, it's just one of those comfort foods that um, always just hits me right, no matter what point I'm at in a race. Very nice. Brian, what do you say? Uh, probably my favorite's very similar. It's, it's white bread, uh, actual real ham, and then like the processed Velveeta cheese, you smash it in there. It doesn't matter if it gets smashed hot, the cheese will start to melt. The salt is so good when you taste it. And uh, the longer it sits in your pack, it almost tastes better. And then my, my staple, and, and this goes along with, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize that the longer you race, uh, the body begins to kind of shut down. And so the blood leaves the stomach. And so you get kind of a queasy feeling and, and your stomach doesn't function the way it's supposed to. And I always rely on those uh, cool mint cliff bars. Uh, they've got a little bit of caffeine in them and that chocolatey minty gets in your stomach. It's something that takes the stomach a, a little bit to turn around, but that mint really helps to settle the stomach and kind of get things going again. 
Very nice. Very nice. I have a friend of mine listened to a podcast today and we were talking about nutrition and he was shocked that it was uh, Fritos. Fritos and Cheetos were someone's definition of nutrition. And I said, trust me, when you're in a race, food is food is food. Everything else goes out the window. Um, what's down the road for No Sleep Adventures? What are your, what's your, uh, what are your aspirational races? What are you going to put on? And if folks want to do a race, where can they find you? Where do you exist on the internet? Right. So we've got a race coming up um, in November. We're actually getting ready to open up registration on August 1st. And that's the big turkey foot adventure. And, and this is a true beginner friendly um, event. It's in fact, we were going to do this event for the first time in 2020. Um, and even with COVID, we, we launched a bunch of COVID precautions, but then things got worse and we literally had to back out of this race. Um, I want to say it was just a week or a week or two before the, the event. So five um, days before we issued full refunds to everyone because that's just that's that, that that was the best thing to do. We didn't want to make anybody feel like, you know, we were taking a chance and then going to dodge out. So right. uh, it was just very unfortunate. The local health department shut us down and there was just no way that we could make it happen. Got it. Got so this, it. this will be a four hour true beginner friendly event. Uh, it's in Harmony Harmony State Park in uh, New Harmony, Indiana, um, right here in the tri-state. Uh, great event. Uh, we we uh, it's it's called the Big Turkey Foot because it's actually on November twentieth, so it's the weekend before Thanksgiving when folks are back in town to see family. Come down, have some fun, and, you know, get out there and, and get prepared for eating all that turkey. You know, work off a few pounds ahead of ahead of that big meal. So, um, and then it, it's it's called the big turkey adventure for a couple of reasons one because it's right before thanksgiving but we also partner um, with big turkey foot coffee out of owensboro kentucky they're one of our sponsors for this event those guys are adventure addicts themselves in fact they were signed up to do the race themselves so um yeah that, that's a great event and then every uh, year in june is when our longer races and um, that event's usually anywhere from a you know 18 to a 30 hour race have you decided how long it will be for 2022 yet? Or are you still working on that? We are still working on that. I don't think we've announced a, a length yet. So that uh, is is to come. But we can you can find all of our races at uh, nosleepadventures.com. Great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, well, gentlemen, Brian and John, thank you so much for joining us on the Dark Zone. Um, you clearly, uh, you, you carried uh, No Sleep Forward in terms of how we describing it to our listeners and what we did here. So thank you so much for taking part. You've been great and all the best in the future. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the Dark Zone. Yeah, thanks, Brian. We really appreciate it. Thanks for starting this podcast. I think this is great for the sport and look forward to hearing future episodes. Well, there you have it. Big thanks to Brian and John for taking part in this episode of The Dark Zone. You can find them at nosleepadventures.com. We encourage everyone to check us out on www.ardarkzone.com or drop me an email at brian at darkzone.com. If you are listening to this on one of the more popular podcasting platforms, I ask that you please give a review. Feel free to give five stars. The more reviews, the more stars, the more notice we get. Thanks for joining us. And remember, check your maps and check on your teammates.